Seventh Avenue Pizza, the official pizza of the Soda Pod. The Soda Pod, the official beer and hockey podcast of Seventh Avenue Pizza. And welcome, college hockey fans, to another episode of MNC AA. I am your host, Dick Max, and we have plenty to cover here in this week's episode. And as always, for whatever reason, we give Noah Grant the starting thing because I, I guess people like you. So I guess I'm giving. Uh, it yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I <laughs> I would say out of everybody on this show, I probably have the least amount of Twitter and social media clout, partially because this is not what I do for a living. Um, but I don't know. I I, I wouldn't say. There's a lot of people that like me, but I would like to think that I'm at least entertaining and self-deprecating, if anything. So, well, I'll try my best this week. Well, this is social media, so this is a perfect, you know, time for self-deprecation and, you know, <laughs> just throw, you know, yelling at clouds. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I'm not in your age bracket. I hear that's more in your AARP oh. <laughs> circle, but I mean, who's to say? <laughs> Hey, you know, you got to pass the time somehow. So <laughs> uh, speaking of passing the time, uh, the San Jose Huskies uh, had some time to pass this weekend. And, and maybe we're wishing the time had passed a little bit faster uh, this past Friday mm-hmm. when uh, St. Cloud are, uh, hosted the Colorado College Tigers. Um, so let's talk about that, right? Because uh, maybe we should start with this way. St. Cloud's not it. St. Cloud, uh, I, this is a struggle bus, my God. Colorado College is no joke of a hockey team we've talked yeah. about in our show the huskies warming nose podcast um with the transition with chris mayotte in year number two that this team is is not one that you can scoff at anymore and that's you know all the credit to the coaching staff and, and not a to take anything that you know st cloud does by the way but this was a tough series um it was a split and uh i should say maybe for us too that cover this team quite a bit this came but no shock to us but maybe a shock to the huskies faithful out there and that really this Colorado College team is that good. Yeah, they put themselves right in the thick of everything, right? You have Omaha, CC, and Western, who are all 6-5-1 and in the conference, separated by two points, 21-20 and 19, uh, depending on like finishes and regulation, overtime, shootout, whatever have you. So, yeah, it's been interesting. I still think like Duluth at 6 and North Dakota at 7 is just a mind-boggling thing that's difficult to (laughs) – kind of wrap my head around at this point um not that i'm complaining but yeah this tigers team like everyone says this is not your grandpa's tigers team right i mean this is the first cc team in the nchc era that has really made a push maybe even since the mid 2000s like 0405 0607 something like that where they've had a post wcha i mean post no not post wcha nick my god i I should not yeah post don lucia error yeah cc is what i was trying to get at yeah silk jersey era how about that yeah and it's it's uh that tigers team was really good of course a couple of like team usa world junior and olympian type things and they've really started to get back to that chris mayotte himself on the international stage and this tigers team we talked about it really one of the things that they have done so well as a program even under mike havlin is they have limited opportunities so they've they've taken this structure where they're in low scoring games where you know if they're winning games they're winning two one three two that sort 
sort of thing. They've kind of kept that identity a little bit, but now they have the firepower to back it up. Before it was survive, 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 and oh, look at that. It's 1-1 one, one halfway through the third. We've got a chance in this one. Versus mm-hmm. now it's it's 2-1 in the third or 3-2 in the third, but we're ahead and we're the aggressor and we're pushing pace. We're transitioning back the other way, and that's what's made this Colorado College team different. Uh, we've talked about it before, how this group has had struggles with recruiting, right? They're... Um, you know, they're not the biggest school in the NCHC. Their school schedule is a little bit weird because it's this sort of like trimester type trimester thing. Um, the way that they set up their schedule as well, too. So, um, yeah, all things aside, this team can play hockey. They had good goaltending from Caden and Berko, who uh, good to see him <laughs> be OK after losing some teeth. It's pretty rare that you see that many teeth lost. Yeah from a shot Micah Miller's wrist shot there. And I mean, like it happens occasionally where guys get hit square in the mask, but yeah, kind of tough for him to break a couple of teeth, but he started the next night and, uh, you know, gave his team a chance to win. But uh, yeah, I, as you predicted, I don't think you and I were as surprised that this Tigers team was, has been as good as they are. And we expected them to be a tough test. They've been really good at the Herbrooks national hockey center in St. Cloud in the past. I think we were just hoping it wasn't going to come against the Huskies, who dropped to five mm-hmm. in the pairwise as a result. But St. Cloud responded fine on Saturday. Um, a couple of little defensive lapses, but we talked about that. Sometimes you kind of play to the level of your opponent where, yes, this Tigers team, we just raved about them. They're not the Gophers, right? If St. Cloud had right. played the way they did against Minnesota, it would have been a clean sweep. But credit the Tigers. They came in on the road. They got a victory on the first night, and they made life pretty difficult. So for for... Huskies faithful out there who are pushing the panic button because uh, yeah because that in the pod because that never happens right right it happened in the pod oh well you know why can't you know you're you were they were down I think a couple of goals in the first nothing if friend it was you know all everybody piling on the Huskies for how could you lose to a team like that they're granted in 2020 they were not the same team right they they haven't had uh, shall we say maybe the, the the skill on the roster was that but even then it was like this is a division one college hockey program and you can't take anybody lightly they can still beat you in any given night that's the beauty of the nchc uh this team no does back up with some skill now um but i think the question you would know is is well from one top test to another you have denver coming into the building here this weekend too um it doesn't get any easier. This is the gauntlet of the NCHC schedule. Partly what makes this conference so unique and so tough is that there is not a weekend where you're yeah. not playing, a, you know, a team that isn't tough that is not, there's no easy outs. And I even say that to Miami because well, St. Cloud couldn't take care of business against Miami. Not to say I'm not taking anything away from the Red Hawks, but again, it, there's, there's no gimmies ever, any weekend in this conference. Yeah, there's not. Miami at 41 in the pairwise, right? Colorado College is a top 30 team in the pairwise right now. So I want to clarify that for people. Um, a top 30 team means they are in the upper 50%, less than 50% in college hockey, right? When's the last time we've said that about this Tigers team? North Dakota at 22 along with Omaha, right? Three NCH teams, NCHC teams from 20 to 30 uh, in that stretch, right? So you talk about how difficult it is. You know, your second worst opponent is technically North Dakota by NCHC standings right now, mm-hmm. and they are... 23 tied for 22 that puts into perspective how difficult it is to win in this conference right so mm-hmm. uh you know i think that cc because of their non-conference schedule a couple of tough losses early in the season like swept against st lawrence things like that that don't really help them in the pairwise but like a lot of teams we've seen the non-conference schedule kind of got them primed and ready to be ready for the gauntlet that is the NCHC, and they're making the most of it. They're on a home playoff spot right now, home ice playoff spot right now, uh, should the playoff start today. So uh, 
yeah, I, I think if you're a Huskies fan, I mean, you still ended up with the split. You didn't get swept. If you would have gotten swept, I think that's where the alarm bells start to show up, just partially because based on statistics and skill set alone, this St. Cloud team on paper is much better than this Tigers team still. Uh, you know, and I think that by by sheer pace and skill set, you should have gotten away with at least one. They did. Um, they even had a chance in the first night, uh, a couple of really opportune goals uh, on a five on three, five on four. Suddenly you're down two nothing and you go into the or, or two one. Sorry. And you go into the locker room thinking, oh, we've got a, you know, a little bit of an uphill battle. And then you give one up in the first minute and 10 seconds. Right. Then it's like, oh, well, now we've really got to start pushing. And it was too little too late at that point. And they still almost came back in that hockey game. So if you're a Huskies fan, I don't think there's a whole lot of panic here. I don't think there should be. Now, what is concerning in a very small, vague sense, is that St. Cloud doesn't have many losses this season, but they've been inopportune and they've been against opponents that are a little bit farther down than them in the standings for the most part. And that has got to change. Um, like if you split with Denver this weekend, there's no shame in that. The Piles are a good team. They're right next to you, you know, in four in the pairwise. You can't drop games like they have the Tigers, you know, they, they had the Tigers four times this season. They won three out of four, but, you know, same with the games against Bemidji State. You got to stop losing inopportune contests, but really the rest of the way, every NCAA opponent is going to be tough. So. so let's talk about this upcoming matchup against Denver. You did split earlier this year um, in Magnus Arena. Um, so coming home should help, right? But again, yeah. this is uh, another top five team in the nation. Uh, St. Cloud got four out of the six technical points, you could call it. Um, you know, against the Gophers pairwise speaking, again, 1.33 um, to 0.66, if that's how we want to phrase it. Um, I, I know you mentioned, we talked about this before, the, the math wasn't reflecting the new scoring system in the yeah. pairwise when we recorded that last. I think, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if they updated that yet, but that's right. technically what it is. So, uh, but this is a conference battle. This is also an NCHC. This is also a pairwise battle. So this is going to be, uh, you know, if you're going to lay it all on the line, you got to do that against the Denver team, the reigning national champions. Yeah, you have to think about it as an NCHC battle. I mean, both these teams are top 10 teams in the country. It's at worst, regardless of finish, I would say, this season, unless one of them just totally implodes, right? right. Uh, so really, you're vying, uh, particularly in Denver's case, for a Penrose, right? I think mm -hmm. that, you know, this is your weekend to really kind of put St. Cloud away from you and not let them gain traction towards you in that regard. St. Cloud still might be, you know, top two in that respect, but, you know, it would keep them away there. St. Cloud is essentially two regulation wins in the NCHC away from Denver as it is. They need at least four points, if not five, or the full kit caboodle uh, to really have a chance at the Penrose because of these results that they've had against CC and Miami. So uh, if you want a chance at that, if you're St. Cloud, you have to have a successful weekend. Denver on the other side has a chance to really limit that opportunity and push another team at least below where they're going to be in the standings. But uh, you have to think about it, about it as an NCHC battle. You you don't think about it in pairwise implications. I mean, if you if you got swept by Denver, it wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't really change much uh, as far right. as the pairwise is concerned. So, uh, but yeah. it would. I don't want to cut you off, but as far as the conference is concerned, that is almost yeah. you know yeah goodbye Penrose, which. I mean, is this team really worried about the Penrose? I know it sounds great. I know it's it's something the fans adore. Uh, but this team, as a top five pairwise team, if we want to bring it back to that, uh, this team is a title contender, I think, from yeah. themselves and I think I, from us, right? 
I, I think I think uh, the answer here actually is yes. I think you want the Penrose this season because we talked about it. Uh, every team has been tough, but Miami is the one group that really is about a shade worse than everybody else in this league, in this conference. Uh, league conference. Conference is what we're trying to go for here. Yeah. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the other the other top seven prevent a, or present a much more formidable challenge compared to the Red Hawks, regardless of the loss that St. Cloud had against them earlier. So I think if you're the Huskies, this is a big weekend. This is a make or break weekend to really have a great advantageous opportunity heading into playoffs and frozen face-off weekend. Uh, and of course, to potentially pick up crucial points, like you mentioned, pairwise wise against this Denver team, who it's going to be a tough test, but St. Cloud has a chance to win that battle in mm-hmm. terms of the pairwise comparison, if they get two victories this weekend. And it would tie them uh, for first place at the NCHC um, if they're able to uh, sweep the piles again on home in, ice. In regulation, yes. In regulation, yes. Yeah. Thanks for, for clarifying because, yes, the details matter apparently. <laughs> um, and this, uh, But it does, honestly. Uh, so let's let's predict this, Noah. Again, this, is, uh, this has all the makings of what the NC has been all about. Um, top team against top team, not only in the conference, but also in the country. Um, here mid-January, it's going to be a tough test for both squads. St. Cloud uh, maybe thinks it left a little um, on the table against Colorado College again at home uh, before uh, they retired Matt Cullen's jersey. Again, they lost Friday, one Saturday. So how do you see this uh, series playing out again on home ice with a chance uh, to tie Denver again atop the NCHC standings? So I'm going to go a little bit bold here. I say the Huskies do sweep the weekend. Um, however, I don't know that both of them are in regulation. So it is possible that De- even with tiebreakers, Denver still could. But I think it is possible that Denver could be statistically point-wise still ahead of the Huskies based on the results this weekend. Um, I think it's going to be a close one on the first one. I'm going to go 2-1 St. Cloud on Friday night. Low-scoring affair. And then I'm going to go 5-4 the next night for the Huskies on Saturday, a bit of a barn burn. The, the reason I say that St. Cloud coming off two tough weekends against Minnesota and then CC who gave them fits, have a chance to really evaluate their game, get a little bit of rest uh, and kind of have a normal week for the first time, you know, in terms of length of week, you know, cause you came off that Minnesota series and you lost a day essentially. Um, and then on the other side of things, Denver really tough showing against Fairbanks. And then they played Miami and beat them 14 to nothing over the weekend. Uh, you know, not a very tough test for the Pio. So you have a chance to jump on this team early, especially if the crowd is electric, especially if you have a good crowd on hand, you have a chance to really ride that momentum, I think. And I think St. Cloud understands what's at stake. This is not last year's Huskies team, I don't think. They had a little bit of blip to start their NCHC second half. I don't think it's going to happen again. I think the Huskies take both this weekend. I think this is this is another year where we see them really lock it down as we push deeper and deeper into the second half. And I think this weekend is going to be an absolute primer for that shotgun is a potential frozen faceoff victory and maybe even a Penrose. We'll need uh, every NCHC points as they can get right now, regardless, because again, um, there's about five teams that could be in a whole nice spot uh, vying for it. So uh, all these points matter. So uh, Noah Grant, thank you very much. As always, uh, we need to head just down I-94 to bring in our friend Drew Cove, who is talking all things number one, Minnesota Golden Gophers. Do you love sports? Do you think you know more about sports than all of your friends? Do you like getting things for free? If you're still with me, you need better edge in your life. Legal sports betting in Minnesota and a free, that's right, free $20 sign-up bonus, no deposit required. 
Go to your browser right now. Type in betteredge.com slash sodapod. That's B-E-T-T-O-R edge, E-D-G-E dot com slash sodapod, S-O-T-A-P-O-D to claim your $20 today. And we finally arrived here at 3M Mariucci in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, a.k.a. Dinky Town, uh, to talk all things, you know, uh, number one team in the country, Drew Cove. Drew Cove, how you doing, buddy? Hey, doing pretty good. Hanging in there. How about you? We're hanging in there. Uh, it's been a rough start for me hosting this episode, so we're, we're going to try to keep the, the gravy train rolling, as they say. Uh, it was a tough start also for the Gophers this weekend. Um, uh, many looked at this matchup uh, on paper, as did I, and I think you did as well, that this was a series that Minnesota could have taken care of business on both nights, and uh, Notre Dame made it tougher than we maybe we anticipated. Yeah, yeah, it was tough for the Gophers to score goals in that first game, man. It was a... Uh, uh, until a third period goal uh, that tied it, you know, it just, it didn't really, didn't really look too good. Um, I mean, Mason Evers, uh, I think came through when the Gophers were looking a bit flat, but uh, yeah, I mean, another goal from Jackson Lacombe, he's definitely an offensively kind of gifted play defenseman, but uh, yeah, not to, not the game the Gophers really wanted. And it just, it kind of was slow from the get go. And uh, yeah, Notre Dame kind of executes that, that stifle you down kind of uh, kind of game plan. And, it worked. And obviously, and even some of the guys were kind of, there was a lot of, sh- I mean, you know, when you guys are really going, especially in college, when you, their shoulder pads are kind of bouncing up and down so much, you know, yes. like I thought I like Ryder Rolston to me was a guy who stood out in that first game who really just was just putting it on and said, you know what? I like, he came out just like, you know what? I, I hear what everybody's saying about the Gophers this season. I want to, I want to see, I want to see what our team can do. And uh, there were a few guys like that that night. And uh, obviously they got to, a result that was uh, probably better than most expected, uh, better than uh, we expected um, for Notre Dame there. But yeah, the Gophers, uh, uh, not a great first game, obviously, when uh, they should be, um, except maybe Michigan, they should be probably sweeping or threatening to sweep every weekend uh, here on out. Ryder Rolston, that last name Rolston has no connections to Minnesota hockey, right? So No, no. <laughs> not at all. Probably wandering around the, the uh, Excel Energy Center locker room for probably years but yeah those clap bombs are still ringing into a lot of people's ears but (laughs) um (laughs) but you know one thing that notre dame did show us this weekend was when they play with the lead uh dare i say shades of thomas Territorian and bemidji state i mean they they still have the ability to be very locked down very grice uh vice grip defensively um again the offense has not been the same shall we say as in terms of threatening this year from Notre Dame. But uh, again, they showed that if they get a chance to get a lead, it's hard to get mm-hmm. through them, especially between the blue lines. Yeah. It's hard to get it back. And if they get it, if they get a couple of goals and even if they're flukes or not, you know, it's just, you go, you go let them score a little bit. It's it's tough to come back. I mean, they, it's, don't, it's, they don't ask how, right? <laughs> yeah, no, you, you don't, you don't. And uh, you don't, uh, um, that's why the Gophers don't want to get behind to them. I mean, nobody wants to get behind to them because, I mean, you let in two goals. I mean, Notre Dame's going to win a lot of hockey games, uh, two to one, two nothing. And I mean, they're, they just, they're going to play a lot of more kind of lower scoring games. And obviously when they lose, they might get blown out because it's just, uh, it, their defensive style is 
good, but uh, if people score a lot of goals against them, they're not going to be getting a lot on their own end too, because they're just going to be hemmed into their own zone. But um, yeah, it, it was definitely a, a clinic for uh, what the Gophers could see, I think, going forward, especially come tournament time. And obviously we've kind of, now that we've been glossing over the season, we've kind of been saying, you know what, this team is 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 likely destined for something a bit greater than just a, a Big Ten Conference championship. And uh, I frankly, it's a disappointment if they don't get there. But it's it, kind of a lot of these these games and these series, you got to look and say, okay, how is this going to prepare the Gophers for the next step in terms of taking taking on a really a really difficult team that they either haven't played recently or haven't really played ever um, or regularly for that matter um, come tournament time. So I guess uh, we'll see. And I think it's another test that they were able to uh, respond to. Is that one thing? I know we'll get into it, but. Uh, the Gophers have been able to respond a lot this year, and they certainly did that in the second game as well. So I think that's the concern, right, Drew, is that when you get to tournament time, you don't get the opportunity to respond, right? It's a one-and-done situation. Now, there's no question, and we've talked about it on this podcast many times before, the Gophers, to me, are the most offensively talented team, I think, in the entire country. I don't think anybody denies that. But it does, There, there is, I guess... Uh, some consistency in the fact that if the golfers seem to get down early, if they're not getting good starts, uh, I think the concern is there where they played good teams, right? So it's not like they played all bad teams and they're just kind of what the fans would say is waltzing through their opponents. That's not it at all. But I think the the, the consensus is starting to grow that, wait a second, uh, despite the adversity this team has been facing sometimes, whether it's their own game or maybe a team is really kind of biting down on them defensively, there has been some signs of struggles in those types of environments. Um, are you seeing the same thing? Uh, you do see that. You see a lot of guys that are looking, all right, who's going to step up and not necessarily. Uh, I'm not trying to say it, that's necessarily a bad thing, like who's going to step up. But like, I think it is a, a product of having so much talent and having so many guys that are used to being the guy mm-hmm. at every level they've played in since until now. Um, now they're all, <laughs> there's, there's, there's six, seven guys up front that, that have been the best player on every team they ever played on. Now it's kind of like, oh, am I the best player on this team? Maybe I'm the seventh best, best player on this team. And that's kind of a difficult thing to adjust to, especially as I think freshmen, you kind of understand, all right, who's, who's the go-to guy when you're down, uh, to kind of bring life back into things. I think Maddie Nyes has been one of those guys this year who's really, um, not necessarily individual individually, but he's he's from the the style of his game is obviously it makes it look like he's very individually focused because he's such a possession guy. Um, but I think a, a lot of that possession he's shown uh, when they're down or when they're struggling to find their footing, he's able to get a possession and keep it and let guys change or something and then get a, kind of a little bit of a shift in the offensive zone. And sometimes it, those those don't get they don't result in goals they don't result in uh anything necessarily tangibly positive on the scoreboard um but i think that that that's him definitely trying to say all right i'm the guy let's go and uh i think some guys too on the on the other end i think just like i've said in the past mason never seems seems to have a goal when you need it for the gophers um you may not kind of be super flashy in terms of being a, a, a dynamic um, I mean, he is a very dynamic player offensively, but I don't think um, he, it's it's a little bit more difficult to notice him, especially on this team, um, the way it's constructed and how much talent they do have up front. Because don't get me wrong, he's an extremely talented player, but I mean, Logan Cooley uh, and uh, Jimmy Snuggeroo, they kind of overshadow him in a lot of in a lot of aspects, especially he's not on the top line. 
Um, but I think he's a guy who brings some kind of calm um, to the to the ice in those in those points and says, you know what, and just I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way to get a goal, and he's done it a couple times this year. And uh, uh, just it's a matter of making sure that that happens in a single game and not waiting till the next night. Because you're right, like like you said at the start, it's uh, at some point they're not gonna have be afforded the opportunity to play another game if they lose one. So. Um, it's a, it's a, that's the beauty of the NCAA, uh, men's hockey tournament. Just, it, it's, it's a lot of fun and, uh, it, it's winner go home. So that's uh, the Gophers better figure it out to, to, against good teams, against good defensive teams to make sure that they bring it every single night. And especially at the very beginning of every, every single game. They'll get a different test this weekend with, uh, the big blue coming uh, to town, Michigan again, uh, for some odd reason is, uh, still up in there in the pairways, even though the Big Ten record is, you know, very much not uh, very good. Uh, but this team still has talent, right? Uh, Michigan is is mm-hmm. going to throw you a different uh, a different look. Again, they're they're almost similar to the Gophers in a sense, where um, they they want to drive possession, they want to be the ones creating offense. You know, they're not going to be a Notre Dame where they're going to mm-hmm. lock down defensively. Uh, so it could be a wide open series or maybe both coaches say, maybe you want to tame each other. So maybe it's going to be more low scoring than we think. I don't know, Drew, what do you see? Yeah. I mean, you see guys like Fantilli, Samuskevich and Hughes, and you just see those guys and you're like, okay, this is going to be a, a tough offensive battle. And uh, the defensive defensemen are really going to have to lock it down. Um, I think this is definitely going to be a different Michigan team than, uh, than when the Gophers saw them before. They're obviously going to be a lot healthier this time around. Um, Fantilli's, uh, I, I believe he's going to play. I haven't seen anything to the contrary, at least as of today. Um, but it's it's going to be a very intriguing series because the Gophers haven't seen Fantilli yet. He's, I think, the closest guy they would have been able to face That's as Logan Cooley as Logan Cooley is, if that makes any sense at all. I don't – like, I think the defensemen are going to be well-prepared for a guy like that because they have been facing Logan Cooley every day in practice. Um, but it's, it is going to be a different, uh, offensive test. They're going to face, face the, the best offense they've faced, uh, all season. And, uh, this will definitely be another test, uh, in terms of how can they, how can they weather the storm, how the defense can play and how Justin Close can be absolutely locked down, um, to make sure that, uh, this team, uh, gets a couple of wins. And, but it's, uh, it, it will be a different, uh, from the Gophers side too. I think Aaron Huglin, Aaron Huglin's going to be back. He missed the last time around, I believe. Uh, Luke Middlestead will be out though, so it'll be a little bit different on defense. I believe Carl Fish might slot in there, um, but yeah, it'll be and obviously, yeah, Justin Close. I don't think played one of the games again, at least one of the games against Michigan. And, uh, uh, but it's it'll be a very different look for both teams because they'll have some guys back that weren't there the first time around. Michigan still eighth in the paralyzed somehow um, with their Big Ten record being not so great. And mm-hmm. granted, the Big Ten is very, shall we say, extreme this year where you have Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and Minnesota kind of in their own world. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Michigan State, who we actually had a good start. They've kind of fallen off mm-hmm. a cliff lately, which I think is a bigger surprise, uh, including myself in the Big Ten here as we head into the mm-hmm. second half. Uh, but Drew, what what do the Gophers have to do to try to secure two wins against Michigan, who again, uh, they can counterpunch them. They've got offensive talent. Um, mm-hmm. They've got good goaltending. So, I mean, the record, we talk about it, but maybe it's deceiving. Um, and at the end of the day, the Gophers, you know, they want to be able to secure a Big Ten uh, and again, continue to prepare themselves for teams that are going to throw them that skill their way. So how do they make it happen? I mean, this year we've seen we've seen them play uh, 
I guess, inspired hockey at, at spurts in games and it's been kind of a roller coaster throughout some games. Um, it, the offense is not consistently there. Um, not that they're taking periods off, but it looks like the, the, the chances they're getting in between certain periods and certain spurts of games. And obviously I think the Wisconsin game where they fell behind two, nothing scored four and then just kind of almost cruised to the end, scored five and then pretty much cruised to the end. Um, that's that's kind of the game that I I worry about against Michigan uh, turning into something that's like turning into something a bit worse than the result obviously against Wisconsin being a, a win for the Gophers but I think they're going to need to keep their uh, their kind of their head on especially if they get a couple of goals right away they can't sit back because this Michigan team will burn them it, it un, mm-hmm. undoubtedly will burn them if they, if that happens and. They've done it before. I mean, they did it to Arizona State a couple of times. They just kind of sat back and, and and they let them have some of the ice. And it it with Michigan, it's going to be a lot, a lot, a lot different um, in terms of just the skill and talent level that they have. Um, it, it'll be an interesting way to see how the Gophers need to kind of establish their 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 talent and their um, their kind of their game plan. Um, offensively, especially, but also to make sure that they don't start coughing up pucks. I mean, even if they're if they're up by a goal or two, they can't say, "All right, we've got offense. We'll just kind of let it go until we kind of feel it again." They got to keep pressing every single time and every single shift, and it's going to be from all four lines. Um, it'll be a pretty pretty dogged fight, I think, but um, I do think it will be just an offensive sh- shootout. Um, not shootout in the result sense, but I think it, I think there'll be a lot of goals scored this weekend. Um, but I just, you, you got to think that the Gophers, uh, um, find a way to end up on top in at least one, I wouldn't be shocked if it's a split, but I think, uh, I definitely think if the Gophers can, uh, keep their head on and, and play very consistent efforts, which we haven't seen, uh, in every game this year, um, granted, but, uh, I think if they can put together some pretty complete games knowing the circumstances against this, uh, this pretty tough Michigan team, I think they can come out with two wins. And two wins. Is that your uh, prediction there? Or do you think more split in this series? Yeah, I'd lean more split. I think the sweep is wishful thinking. Um, obviously when you have a few blemishes against some, uh, inferior teams in a certain game, um, to this point in the season, like, like I said last year, I think you just gotta, I won't see it until I, I won't believe it until I see it. And uh, I think this weekend could be um, – it could be a game changer, I think, for the Gophers, both mentally and the fan base, to say, all right, you can beat two two games against Michigan full full strength, basically. Because um, that was kind of the asterisk put on the other one when they had uh, their third-string goalie playing a forward, taking some shifts at left wing. But True. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I think – It'll be a it'll be a kind of a not a benchmark kind of series because I know you, you overuse that too much and I think I probably have I'm definitely guilty of that so far this season but um, the last chance to play Michigan in the regular season and I think it'll be a really important one for uh, the Gophers going forward through the last uh, few weeks of the Big Ten uh, schedule. And they lay out a game plan for what they have to do the rest of the regular season. And as we have been saying uh, since October, right, trying to, you know, prep themselves for what they hope to be a deep NCAA run. Uh, Drew, mm-hmm. thank you very much for joining us. We go from Minneapolis to the other Twin Cities, St. Paul, where our friend Ryan Steak is standing by for all things St. Thomas Hockey. 
Just want to take this quick break, folks, to tell you about our friends at Waggle Golf. Don't forget to get your Waggle on today. The best damn golf apparel in the world. And yes, they ship internationally as well. If you want to look fly as hell in Canada, you can do so. Go check them out. Get your Waggle on.com. Check out the best golf shirts, half zips, hats, toques, beanies to you all in the United States. The whole nine yards. They have some of their regular items that are so popular year-round, as well as custom drops seemingly every couple months. So check them out on social media, and don't forget to visit their website, getyourwaggleon.com. You'll see me and Hoppy. We rep that stuff with pride. We love it. And we don't just wear it. We don't just show it off because they're friends of us here on the podcast. We wear it because we love it. And we're not the biggest golfers out there. Look good, feel good, and if you're on the courses in the summer, play good. Get your waggle on dogcom. As we mentioned before, now in St. Paul, our new $75 million man, Ryan Steeg. Actually, no, it's not it's not you that gets the money. It's St. Thomas. But uh, how are we doing today, Steeger? I'm doing all right. I, I, I'm hoping when the arena opens that I eventually get the press box named after me, or at least a concession stand, considering how much money I spend there <laughs> each game. So, yeah. They at, least that. Told, at least you're told to show up, right? Yeah. Yeah. To, for our listeners who don't know, maybe you should fill them in on that story. Um. Trying to, what story are we going with right here? I'm trying to remember which one. I have so many. There is so many. So there is the, uh, we'll talk about the arena in just a moment, but how about when there was a presser scheduled this weekend and maybe there was some miscommunication? Yeah, there there was some miscommunication there um, to start the week. I don't know what was going on, but I, uh, we normally have a press conference at Monday morning. I logged into my Zoom and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing's happening i reach out to the school and they said oh we canceled it last minute and i was like okay (laughs) so um yeah i I mean i I kept the window open for like half an hour because sometimes they start late actually they're kind of notorious for doing that but um i was just like okay i guess i showed up and nobody else did (laughs) so i'm (laughs) all right well so hence why if you read my preview it's a little lacking there's no quotes or anything so um but uh i did what i could to put up something nice for everybody so hopefully they got what they needed out of it so let's talk the big news for saint thomas and that is they finally announced the arena right uh lennon penny anderson arena um, holy cow is, uh, I think the, the biggest, you know, description of it. Uh, I think total price tag on it, if I read it correctly, was over 133 some odd million, but, um, a, a big gift, $75 million from a single donor. Um, holy cow. Um, it looks beautiful. It looks like it's going to house both hockey and basketball, if I understand it correctly. Um, mm-hmm. supposed to be breaking down in 2024, which means probably not opening until 2026 is my guess. They're hoping 2025, but I feel like 2026 maybe a little more realistic. But. Yeah, that that arena is going to take more than one year to build, um, unless they break <laughs> down in like 
January 2024. And then, you know, you wouldn't use it till what, August, so maybe a year and a half, but even that seems like a stretch. Uh, but Ryan, talk about this. This has been something that's been in the works for a while. Um, the location has been shifting over north. It was the Ford plant, but now it seems like on campus, correct? This is going to be an on campus venue. Uh, and again, a lot of it made possible by this very generous uh, gift from uh, the Andersons. Holy cow. Well, it's, you know, it's big when Forbes writes something about it. So yeah, <laughs> that's, I mean, it's, it's national news. It's like one of the biggest donations to be given to a school in regards to the athletic department. It's the biggest in Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken. hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. So you have, it, it, it looks great. The capacity, which is funny because if you look at the capacity, they're saying it's going to be 4,000, but if you look at like the photos, it looks like it could hold as many as like 7,000. So I don't know if they're shooting for four, if they want 4,000 and maybe could expand it or not, but it's like the rendering that they have, it looks like it could hold a lot more than four. So, mm -hmm. um, but it, it, the design looks great. Um, I, had, I knew they were coming back to campus. I had no idea that the donation was going to be that massive. I, I, I assume they were going to get a donation, um, a significant one, just because, well, you kind of need one to create a good on-campus facility, but $75 million is massive. I mean, I went to UND, you know, when Ralph Engelstad made his big donation, you know, a mm -hmm. few years that for <laughs> UND to get the Ralph Engelstad arena, and that was massive. I think it was maybe $200 million, I, I think mm -hmm. is what it was, so that's... I thought that was big, and I'm like, well, is there anything that could top that? Well, they tried to get as close as they could <laughs> with this yeah. new facility that St. Thomas is, and uh, it's gonna, it looks great. I, I think it's great for the school. They wanted to get back on campus, and the thing, the arena that they plan in Men Mendota Heights isn't bad. It's just it's a it's a small thing. Its the capacity is a thousand. It's a high school arena, and you know you want to get back on campus, and you want to like really generate you know, buzz in the community and get a following, you know, an on-campus and a fancy on-campus arena is the way to go. So this was big news and uh, everybody seems excited about it. Even Rico. <laughs> seems the man of, uh, of one emotion, right? Um, speaking of emotions, right? Um, this past week, it was actually talks, you know, hockey that was played, right? So you traveled to Michigan Tech, uh, a team that's above you in the CCHA, and you end up coming with a split. Um, shut out a night number one, two, nothing. You come back to win it 3-2 on Saturday. So you do split with Michigan Tech. I believe that was your first ever regulation win against Michigan Tech um, in the first two well, year and a half, essentially, of St. Thomas hockey history. So um, a big weekend. Um, still... You know, left some points out there, but in other words, uh, it's still good to see that you know you're taking one of the better CCHA teams, and you you you, you got a win out of them. You know, I, I think Friday was was really disappointing because they were out playing Tech for stretches in that game, ended up losing two zero. I don't like counting empty netters, so I think it was more of a it was two zero, but it was more of a one zero game pretty much. Right. Um, it was tight all the way through they got their opportunities just couldn't cash in past Blake Petalo of course you know played at the level that he's typically playing at and uh so I, I imagine that stuck in their craw a little bit and then Saturday you know they came up blazing put a lot of pressure on Petalo early got some good goals and that that goal in the third period ended up being the game winner 
I wasn't sure if they'd actually be able to get it on net because I thought, you know, Josh passed it late. <laughs> like it was almost like right on top of the net. And I'm like, Oh, is Luke going to be able to tap it in? <laughs> Cause it looks like it's going <laughs> to go a little wide, but he was able to tuck a pass. It was a great thing. They held on and it's first win ever over ranked opponent at the D one level. That's huge. They finally beat tech after coming close the night before and coming close the previous season twice both at home and on the road losing in overtime and in the shootout you know the, the other two times so it was it's a huge deal and it's not just because tech was ranked but just to get some momentum going in the second half you know the concern was that the long layoff that happened because st thomas hadn't played in a month almost five full weeks and now they're <laughs> back in live action against a ranked opponent one that's fighting for the conference title and they go out and play very very well and I think that'll give them the boost that they need to go into this weekend because it doesn't get any easier. No, it doesn't. Uh, and you set me up perfectly for my next question. Now you face the number one team in the CCHA, the Bowling Green Falcons, who uh, currently sit 35 points, I believe. Uh, yes, uh, with 18 games played. So uh, St. Thomas does have two games in hand on them, but uh, sit 17 points, currently uh, seventh in the CCHA, but one point behind Northern Michigan. Uh, I believe six points yet behind Ferris State, who is occupying the fifth spot. Um, so it's going to be a tough test, right, Ryan? Because again, uh, Bowling Green wants to, to maintain their top spot. St. Thomas last year was a second half team. Um, they go up, like you said, first ever uh, win against a ranked Division One opponent. So there's some moral victory there a little bit, but now it's can they keep rolling the train, right? That's been the biggest concern this past uh, half year for St. Thomas is they just couldn't seem to keep traction. Uh, you're hoping that this is a springboard for them and they'll need it against Bowling Green. Well, very much so. They uh, St. Thomas gets splits. They've, they've only had one sweep in their two seasons so far. So if St. Thomas is going to win, it usually is coming on a Saturday because I don't know what it is this year, but they tend to play better on Saturdays, hence last week, <laughs> hence the win over Tech on Saturday night. So, but Bowling Green's a different opponent, though. You know, Tech has been kind of a surprise this year because yeah. you're thinking, oh, maybe fifth, sixth. I was thinking they're going to be in the lower half. And then you got Bowling Green, who was predicted, you know, to finish in the upper half. And now they're leading the conference ahead of Mankato and ahead of Northern. Northern's <laughs> – this is a, like a make or break weekend for Northern. That's a different story, but to, to, just to throw that out there. But this is um, – Bowling Green is deep. They've got good goaltending. They've got a good offense. Austin Swankler's on pace. He's having a great year. He's leading the conference. He's third. He's second nationally in points. He's, I mean, it's he's the star forward that everybody's going to keep an eye on. And if you're a Tommy's fan, he's the guy you should probably focus on because he's fun to watch. And the Tommies are going to have to be at their best. They were at their very best last week, and now they have to go. The good thing is that they're hosting the Falcons and uh it's a great opportunity for them to like you said build momentum and just make another statement they made a huge one last week and if they can get a win over the current ccha leader that is even more of a statement saying we're not just a one hit we we can actually you know keep the momentum going for the rest of the season and uh it's gonna be a fun weekend it is uh you have not beaten bully green yet in six previous matchups now mind you the last three it's been one goal losses, in fact, back in November when you had that series, both two to three uh, losses uh, were the scores. Again, those games playing in Bowling Green. So you played them tight. 
But what's it going to take for St. Thomas to reverse that trend to finally get on uh, the winning side of things? Again, you're playing this team tight. So, you know, there's an opportunity there, but what's going to push them over the edge? Well, holding on to a lead would probably be the top. The top. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because uh, they gave up on the Saturday game. They gave up the game winner with like 18 seconds left in the game. So that was kind of a heartbreaker. Yes. So if they can <laughs> they can hold on to finish off a game, that, that'd be the big thing. But really, um, Aaron Trotter got rookie of the week as goaltender. He's been on his game. Um, if he can play at the level he did this past weekend, I think they've got a good shot. They're getting good scoring. Um, Josh, of course, is having <laughs> a, a big year. Uh, he's coming into his own his freshman year. I thought it'd, this would be more of like a sophomore year kind of thing for him, but he's really mm-hmm. emerging and putting a show on offense. If he can play at that level, if they can get balanced scoring and they can score quickly and have Trotter kind of carry them the rest of the way, I think they're going to get a win this weekend. Um, Bowling Green, you know, they tied, they forced overtime with Bowling Green last year at home. They've lost twice to them this year by one, by one goals and gave up the winning goal close to the buzzer. So they're right there. They know they can beat Bowling Green. It's now it's just coming together and um, it's going to take a lot, but uh, the potential's there. It's going to be, I'm excited for it. It's, it's also the rare Thursday game that I get to cover because so and that's a rarity. So I'm I'm excited to do that too. So what do we think, Ryan? Can St. Thomas break the winless streak? Do they get one? Do they sweep or do they get swept? What happens? You know what? Um, in our last podcast, I think I picked them to beat the Huskies, get one win up in Houghton. I'm going to say they get another one over Bowling Green. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. Um, I th- I think Bowling Green's just too good overall and too deep for uh, St. Thomas to sweep them, but they're going to get one win. They've come so close three times. I feel like it's like it's going to happen. They came close against Tech. It finally happened. I think they're going to get a win this weekend. If they play at the level that they did last week, they're guaranteed to get a win. St. Thomas looking to continue their rise in Division One college hockey and in the CCHA. Again, taking on number one in the CCHA Bowling Green. Ryan, thank you very, very much for joining us. Uh, we stay in the CCHA. We have to head up north uh, to Paul Bunyan. No, I'm kidding. It's Christian Babcock who's going to talk all things Bemidji State and what's up coming in their schedule. Do you like supporting local? Local business? Local hockey? Local legends? Do you like vodka? martinis, screwdrivers, Bloody Marys, White Russians, whatever you can find. I'm more of a vodka fresca guy myself. If you nodded yes to any of those, look no further than Northland Vodka, giving 5% back to local hockey and, of course, the recipe that was masterfully crafted by local legend himself, Mark Parrish. Everyone get out there right now. Support Northland Vodka. Run. Don't walk. Well, since Paul Bunyan was not available today, we decided to bring on Christian Babcock uh, to talk all things Bemidji State. Christian, how are you doing today, buddy? Um, not as well as Paul Bunyan, although he doesn't move ever. He just sits downtown. So at least I can, you know, move around and do various alive things. So that's a cool thing that I have on Paul Bunyan, I guess you could say. Paul Bunyan is consistent, too, which I guess that Bemidji is, you know, 
partly consistent right now. They're consistently not putting in great efforts. Um, and uh, this last weekend hurt a little bit. Uh, Bemidji State woke up uh, their fan base a little bit with some wins. Um, earlier, again, they took a one away from St. Cloud earlier in the season. They've had a couple of, uh, shall we say, pickups here and there. Uh, but in the conferences where they had essentially control their own destiny, Christian, but as of late, uh, let's just say the opportunities have been, uh, shall we say, have been taken advantage of. Sure. And I was thinking about it. It's kind of funny because it seems like for about a month now we've been talking about they haven't been the most exciting or flashy team, but they would pick up points every weekend, kind of like a freight train, right? Like a freight yeah. train is not exciting, but it generally gets the job done. You know, they kept getting points. Like you said, they controlled their own destiny. I think we've probably said 10 times, you know, they had the lead in points percentage. That's gone now. They had games in hand, which is still true, but they were, they had it all in front of them and they still do. I mean, they have four games in hand against Bowling Green. And if they somehow went on a run and just started sweeping people left and right, they could get back up there. But as of now, the the freight train has been derailed a little bit, or at least slowed down, I guess we could say. I think Paul Bunyan says you've been chopped down, uh, I think is what <laughs> how he would phrase it. But, uh, you know, all, thing, all kidding aside, though, um, it was a tough weekend, though. And, and it's not taking it away from Bowling Green. Bowling Green's a good squad. Uh, but for, for Bemidji State, uh, one thing that's a bit concerning to me is you give nine goals in two games. Uh, that is not Bemidji State hockey that at least people in Minnesota are used to. Um, I guess, is there alarm bells showing up uh, for Mississippi State fans that says, you know, not only do we're giving up goals, but we also can't score. But I think more importantly, this team has been defined by its, you know, stingy defense, and that hasn't been there the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I think the alarm bells are definitely ringing, probably not at full tilt quite yet because there's still a lot in front of them. But if they don't change the results soon, it's not going to matter much. I mean, they're still squarely in the middle of the pack like we said with the opportunity to move up but as you pointed out they've not had top end scoring consistently this year there's been a game or two where it has kind of popped up but they're gonna have to play better defensively if they want to realize at this point pretty much any aspirations so it's going to require a course correct very quickly i was thinking about they played their best weekend of the year probably against minnesota state right before the break and that might end up being a situation where that could haunt them, you know, going into the break playing so well and then not being able to find that form coming back out because it certainly seems like that's how it's been so far in January for them. And is there a particular thing that is hurting them, Christian? Uh, I know that you you cover so many different sports up there in Bemidji and you're kind of running the sports department all by yourself to uh, to an extent. Uh, but what has been the, the Achilles heel of Bemidji State? I mean, we talked about defensively, offensively, but is there anything in particular? Is it bad starts? Is it, you know, just defensive breakdowns? I mean, what's causing this team to give up so many points as of late? I think... Probably the scoring is the bigger thing. And I one thing I was thinking about, I think we talked about this a week or two ago, the shot totals have kind of come down from where they were early in the season. Early in the season, they were out shooting teams pretty much every week. And that didn't always lead to wins, but more often than not, it did. And now those shot totals are starting to get reversed. Now, I think Bowling Green, one game each, you know, one team led the shot totals. So it's not necessarily a perfect barometer of everything that's wrong with them. But I think when the shot totals go down, the scoring has also tended to go down. And I think that's just kind of put a lot of pressure on their defense. And when you lose some one-goal leads like they've done this year, I think, you know, losing a one-goal lead and, say, tying, for example, is not the ideal result you want. But that's better than 
losing by four or something like that. So I think they have a really good opportunity in front of them with Northern Michigan coming into the Sanford Center this weekend to kind of get right. But if they can't produce, you know, at least three, four points this weekend, they're going to be in a really tough spot moving forward. And Northern Michigan uh, sitting sixth right now in the CCHA, again, with uh, uh, 18 points. Again, Bemidji sitting in fourth with 25. Um, you are equal in terms of uh, games played with both of these teams. So uh, I guess how much of this is confidence now, Christian? Because, again, as an athlete, when you're, uh, I guess, you know, even one goal of games, right, if you end up on the losing side of it more often than not, it starts to wear on you a little bit. Now, do you feel like confidence is an issue with the squad right now? I think they're kind of right on the precipice of it becoming an issue. I think, you know, you could write off the Duluth weekend. Okay, first weekend, non-conference, you know, whatever, kind of out of the flow. Bowling Green, you know, it's one bad weekend in conference. If they show up this weekend and get swept again, then I think that's where confidence becomes a major issue. I think this week is going to be a really big tipping point. You know, they're back home. They have their first true home series in a while. Duluth was a home and home. So if they're able to put a good result together this weekend, I think they can kind of get the freight train back on track. But if they can't, it could be another, you know, start to the second half, kind of like they had last year. That is just impossible to rebound from unless they're going to just go on an undefeated run and end up winning the Mason Cup and making the NCAA tournament that way. And so, you know, and you bring up the, the Mason Cup, too, and, uh, and one of these days we're going to dive in deep as to uh, CCHA and playoffs and officiating and goals being scored underneath the net. But, well, that's a, that's a different conversation point. Uh, but like you said, Christian, this is – it seems like this is a playoff-type weekend that's happening here in middle of January, right? Because, I mean, you, you don't want to label something that it isn't, but at the same time, you know, you, you – like we mentioned before, you, you have an opportunity – where you can cement yourself in a top four, feel good about yourself. But again, if you start to drop more of these games, it become a bigger issue, not only for the Parawise, which you slipped a little bit, but more so for your CCHA uh, implications too. Sure. Yeah, I think that's right. And Tom Saratori likes to say it's easier to pick up points early in the season because later in the season, just the competition gets tougher and you can see up and down swings and it, it's just harder. You know, the teams are more in shape as far as the season goes. Of course, the break kind of throws that out of whack, but it's mm-hmm. just hard, especially in a conference like the CCHA where there's a fair amount of parity. It's not going to be easy to get points in January. So they kind of built themselves a bit of a cushion and they've burned through some of that cushion, I guess you could say, or worn through it, whatever metaphor you want to use. But you know, I think, like I said, this is a really big pivot weekend for them. If they're not able to put together a good result this weekend, they're really going to have to go on an unlikely run, I guess I could say, if they want to still have some of their goals in hand when you look toward the end of the season. So let's build on that a little bit, Christian, because you know you mentioned what Tom Serratore says, it's tougher to pick up points later in the season. Yes, because teams, at least the better teams, right? They improve as the season goes on, right? You get better in all facets of the game. Yeah, the holiday break is tough for everybody, right? Whether you're number one in the pairwise or number 61 or 62, right? It's always tough uh, to take a break, especially if you're a good team that's on a pace where you want to keep playing. Uh, but for, uh, for Bemidji, it seems like the opposite's happening where, you know, they built a cushion, but it all seems like that cushion's wearing down. No, does that mean that they're not improving. Does that mean that this, you know, say, we'll say the book or the playbooks out there um, for the opponents and they're just getting figured out? Or what do you think is attributing to Bemidji not keeping pace with their opponents? Yeah, I think there was a bit of a surprise factor early in the season because they had a mix of 
transfers, some freshmen, and then also just kind of players in new roles who were counted on to produce more and do some different things from what they did last year. And I think you could probably say they surprised St. Cloud. They played a great game that day, but you know, St. Cloud is a great team. So there was probably some surprise factor in that game. So I think I agree with you. The book is out, but I I think it, it was just kind of odd how the break, I'm not sure what happened. Obviously these things are fickle, but they mm-hmm. probably played their best series of the year against Minnesota state. And at that point, the book should have been out on them. That was mid December. So I think it's just a mix of kind of a slow start. Like you mentioned, it's not like these teams they're playing are total chopped liver. I mean, Duluth has had many, many struggles this year, but still a talented team. And, you know, there's a great rivalry there. So, you know, they're going to get up for that series. So I think this week is just going to be really key. If they can get more scoring, that'll take some pressure off their defense. And then, you know, it's kind of put up or shut up time. Like you said, it's a little early to be talking about that, but it's not too early if you're looking at them trying to potentially win a championship or anything of that nature. Bemidji has won four of the past six against Northern Michigan and Northern Michigan too, which started hot too, but has, has really slowed down. Um, I guess, is it more disappointing um, that if you were to drop both games this this weekend because Northern Michigan is, shall we say, vulnerable and that they're a team that could really benefit from the points. Um, I, I guess, where are we at with this? I know we talked about a tipping point, um, but if they do give up two wins to Northern Michigan this weekend, um, is, is it, I mean, holy cow. I mean, are we talking the end of the end of the road here or what, what happens? I wouldn't say end of the road, but I just say, you know, a lot of the things that they put themselves in position for, whether it's, I think a couple weeks ago, maybe three or four, we talked about having not only a top four seed, but maybe a top two seed in, in the conference at a minimum. And that means you get a potential of two home games and that would create a lot of opportunity for them as far as just trying to maybe get into the Mason cup if they're not in an auto bid position in the pairwise, which is looking more likely by the week now. So I think it's just kind of a question of what this team is going to do this year. I mean, losing both games this week would not necessarily take them out of a top two seed or even a top seed. But like I said, it just makes it more and more unlikely. If you look at kind of a statistical chart of the likely outcomes, you're starting to get farther and farther away from, what the most likely scenario is if you're looking at some of those better outcomes that they probably had a a reasonably good feeling about that they, you know, could chase those down and potentially make something like that happen this year. And I think with, with this weekend in particular, again, six points on the line, uh, again, Northern Michigan, uh, not the team that started off. So the opportunity is there. So, and and again, if you're Tom Saratori, you're looking at this as, yeah, we know that we're not maybe playing the best hockey record wise, but you know, this is a team that we should have the upper hand on. So you, you don't want to look at it as we're trying to maybe stop the bleeding, but how can we prop ourselves up, right? You want to stay positive. And for Bemidji, you know, Northern Michigan comes in struggling too. So let's take a look at this for Northern Michigan, you know, their offense, 67 goals for about 65 goals against. So they're not a really, you know, they give up just about as much as they score, right? Uh, Bemidji is kind of similar. So are these teams similar on the ice in terms of how they execute a game plan as well? Uh, Maybe. I I think, you know, the more we talk about this, the more I think this is a weekend where Bemidji State pretty much basically just needs to be concerned with itself. I think Mm -hmm. if they don't, they're not going to get the results they want. I mean, they've had two subpar weeks now. I, I will point out, 
you know, the games against Bowling Green, they were in those games. Duluth, there was, you know, one game they probably should have won on Friday. They let a lead slip away and then they get blasted in Duluth. So it's not like they're getting blown off the ice every game. But this weekend is just really well set up for them having a team that is going to give you the opportunity probably to get back on track, being back at home for two games. So I think it's really about them and what they're going to do. I think if they are thinking about the opponent or the standings or anything like that, they're kind of off base. I think this is the weekend for them to find the best version of themselves, or that version is probably just not going to come out until it's too late this year. So prediction time here, Christian, because again, a pivotal weekend for the Beavers. Do you think they at least split? Do they pick up the sweep or or shall we say, does, you know, the Death Star come out and they get swept? I do not see them getting swept. I would, I don't know. I feel very probabilistic today or something trying to think about, you know, we're talking about how likely these scenarios are and how it's going to get harder for them every week to try to do these things. I feel like a sweep at home by North or, a road sweep by Northern Michigan, I guess we could say, is more likely than I would have thought a few weeks ago. But I would still lean more toward a split, maybe a four-point weekend. And I think there is the potential that they could take full advantage of this opportunity and pick up five or six points. They haven't had a regulation sweep all year, and this would be a heck of a time to get one done. And I think it would kind of reset them back on that track that they were on, and they'd be feeling a lot better about themselves if they could get a sweep this weekend. After Northern Michigan, they traveled to Lake Superior State before welcoming back Michigan Tech, who has been uh, a curious squad here at the next couple weekends here in the CCHA. Uh, Christian will be there to cover us all for it here. There, So thank you very much, Christian, for joining us. We have two more stops here um, on this tour. We need to head over to Duluth, just east of you, up there on Highway 210, and talk to Max Feech of all things Bulldogs. So stick around with us here on the MNCAA podcast. And joining us, as always, one of my favorite guests, Max Veach. It's Bulldog Hockey Time here. Stop five of six here in the MNCAA Tour of all things college hockey. Max, I know we asked this before, but I have to ask it again. How are you doing? Uh, been better. You know, I've, I've certainly been worse as well. I've lived through quite a lot of, of things, but also quite a lot of stressful UMD hockey seasons. Um, so it's not, not the lowest I've been, but certainly room to improve. Minnesota sports fandom has, uh, let me just say this, it's like, you know, you have all these heart attacks and you don't really recover, but yet you're, you still watch it. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. And for the, for the listeners out there, I, I should say that, you know, I kind of give Max a little bit of extra crap this weekend because uh, uh, let's just say a UMD has made it uh, an easy target for me and I, I kind of feel bad. <laughs> so, um, and uh, let's just say this UMD just keeps giving me more ammunition. I hate oh, to yeah. say it. Um, so, so let's talk about that in all honesty, because, um, this, this is a hockey podcast. Um, and let's just say that, uh, Omaha did not do us any favors this weekend, uh, by uh, sweeping UMD, uh, Max, let me just start off with a basic question, uh, your reaction to the weekend. I mean, I, I think we know what's coming, but this, this was tough. Yeah. I mean, it was tough, tough all around. I mean, UMD lost both Friday and Saturday. Hermantown lost to Warroad. That was a little bit before. The Vikings lost in catastrophic fashion, regardless of people that want to say that the game was close or whatever. It was never really that close. After that first Giants drive, you knew what it was going to be. We'll revert back to hockey, back to UMD. 
Um, it it was too poorly. I wouldn't say poorly managed because I think you know the coaching staff did what they could, but from an, an on ice standpoint in terms of not taking bad penalties and you know capitalizing on opportunities, it was it was poorly executed um, from from UMD on on really both nights. So uh, a little bit tough tough men- mentally for for a lot of the players that are that are out there right now and some of the fans have you know seen it kind of building uh even after the momentum from from Bemidji and some of the other bigger series but um yeah lots to lots to think about here in the next coming weeks so i guess let me ask you this max because i think this has started to creep into some of the bulldog fandom and maybe this is a, a not the the best time to ask the question but i've been kind of thinking about it. and the reason i ask is I know Scott Salem personally. I've uh, talked to him many times. I think he's a great dude. I think he's a great coach. Um, his name has floated the last couple of off seasons in college hockey as potentially being linked to an NHL job, whether it's a head coach, an assistant coach. And then when you have a season like this, I, I think these rumors tend to get a little steam, whether it's warranted or not. Um, but, you know, after a 20 plus year run, is are we looking at Scott Sandlin's job in terms of maybe him being replaced? And I, I mentioned that not as, any drought to what he's accomplished three national championships. I mean, he's built a perennial program, but is that conversation happening amongst the fandom circles for UMD? Um, I think they're actually a little bit quieter this year than they were last year with all of the success that they had last year. He was getting a lot of interviews. I think he interviewed for at least one. It might've been out in Philly um, before they ended up hiring torts out there. Um, and, you know, he had interviewed in Anaheim a couple years prior to that. So yeah, he has been around, but I think in these seasons where, you know, it's a little bit um, less than ideal from a, a production standpoint, at least within the fan base um, or the majority of the fan base, I should say. Um, those conversations have quieted quite a bit. Uh, whether or not that means they've quieted for Sandlin or for some of these other NHL programs, I don't know. Do I think it would be easier for him to leave right now, given, you know, the the underwhelming season he's gotten out of his younger guys and um, you know, his son, Ryan, being that much closer to being done in Mankato and, you know, uh, a lot less ties to Minnesota, um, you know, in, in the future. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do see it as as a certain possibility here. Um, do I think it's probable? Probably not. Um, I think he does have a pretty good anchor and he likes where he's at. And it's not like he's being unfairly compensated when you look at his salary compared to some of the other ones um, in, in the rest of college hockey. So. Um, I think there will be some conversations um, in the future. I don't know that anybody has to panic right now, though. So let's talk about the season that it is right now for UMD, which has been uh, tough to say it lightly, right? Uh, So uh, you get swept by Omaha. Um, You mentioned untimely penalties. Um, Again, the offense continues to struggle. We've touched on that a couple of uh, our other recent episodes. Um, A lot of the same trends are continuing, and they're trends that, UMD just has to find a way to break and they haven't been able to. Yeah. I mean, it was really brutal, um, especially after, you know, all of that second half, first half numbers don't matter for a second half team nonsense. I was spewing last weekend. I mean, we've, we've just reverted back to that, you know, start of 2022 season team. Um, 0 for three on Friday night on the power of play, only one power play on Saturday. Couldn't capitalize there. Um, gave up two on seven. Um, to Omaha as well as a shorthanded goal in there as well. So all around um, really, really tough, tough 
uh, look from UMD on the the special teams there. I think they ended up only getting three total power play shots on the weekend. Um, and you're just not going to win many games like that. It's at let alone series against, uh, you know, a pretty quality opponent here who's got some big wins on the year, but they lost in almost all facets as well. It wasn't even just the special teams. Um, they tied them on shots on Saturday, but they were outshot on Friday by five. Um, they had more penalty minutes by a long shot on the weekend. They were worse in faceoffs. I mean, there, there wasn't many bright spots to, to look back on for, for the UMD squad this past weekend. So, so let's talk about some team statistics, and I think it's important to discuss a couple of things, only because you and I have seen this team be national championship winners, right? We know the formula that Scott Sandler wants out of his teams, right? And it's just, it's is it maybe it's just a shock value for me that we're seeing almost the opposites, right, uh, this season, and just there doesn't seem to be any like rhyme or reason that they're going to stop anytime soon. Right. So as a team, they're only scoring 2.3 goals a game. Now they've never been known as the most offensively gifted team. Right. Uh, right. But they've had better offensive numbers, but I think the one that strikes me the most is still three goals against per game. Um, again, you go back to Ryan Fante, uh, Hunter Shepard, just in him a couple um, Alex Daylock back in the day. Right. So, yep. um, you know, th this team has been hallmarked and anchored by uh, a strong defensive structure. And for whatever reason, you have this combination right now of UMD on, you know, unable to score, which we thought with some of the new people, whether it's transfers and the, the, the highly talented freshmen that were going to come in, that they were going to make some noise and just build off of what they have done. Hasn't been the case. And in fact, both of these have slipped and then just, man, I just, they just can't get it right. Yeah. I mean, Isaac Howard did score on the weekend. It was a nice goal. He did walk around one of the, the Omaha defenders and it was pretty. So, you know, props to him on that, but he's largely been missing from the stat sheet uh, on, on most of the games so far for UMD. And, you know, hopefully this is a catalyst for him being able to, you know, find something, gain some of that confidence back and skate a little bit more freely out there, not quite so tight and, and wound up and, you know, we've talked about Ben Steves being the, the bright spot as far as scoring goes for UMD this season. He's got 12 goals on the year, and that puts him, you know, among the top um, for for all of at least goals in, in college hockey this on the season. So, you know, it's not all that bleak, uh, but outside of that, it's it's been tough for sure. Um, there's There's more scoring on the way. I wish there was some more bigger, you know, stout defensemen on the way, but you can be taught uh, quite a bit more on the defensive side and become much more um, skilled in that quite a bit quicker, in my opinion, than you can for some of the scoring talent that just you're born with, if for, for lack of a better term and for quick phrasing anyway. So with that being said, on, on the other end of that, um, the thing that I think leads to those, you know, three goals a game more than anything, it's not necessarily the goaltending, although I think it is quite a bit below the the fanties and some of the other names that you had mentioned there of, of recent history for goaltenders at UMD, but it's those um, defensive zone or, you know, unforced errors that lead to turnovers. I mean, we saw a turnover in the defensive zone. That was a goal this weekend, a breakaway that was, you know, absolutely an unforced turnover. Uh, we mentioned it before a shorthanded goal on the power play. So there's three um, of the nine, which we'll get to goals on the weekend that's a third of them that were, you know, pretty avoidable in, in years past. So, um, and that's not just a this weekend thing. We've seen that um, on more weekends than I'd really care to, to remember at this point. And uh, I think that's the difference between this year's team and the teams that we're used to seeing our teams in the past. I'm going to throw out the most useless stat in the world because I think plus minus is a incredibly useless stat. Uh, but I think it, 
I think it's useful in terms of context, meaning sure. like you can't derive a ton of it from it, other than the fact that maybe it's an indicator of other issues, right? Um, if you were to guess the total team plus minus right now, Max, what would you guess it would be? Uh, you're talking just goal differential? Goal di- no, I'm talking point differential. So, you know, if you're a one skater is a minus one, oh, the whole God. team is at what right now? <laughs> Uh, taking into account what I know the goal differential already is. I was going to try and slide one past you there. Um, <laughs> uh, minus 33. You need to almost double that as a team. They're a minus 64. And okay. the reason I bring that up because it is pointless and useless in itself, right? It really isn't an indicator of the, the highs and lows in a game or, you know, like you said, some of the shorthanded and power play stuff that's happening that really doesn't, you know, influence the game. Uh, but their opponents are a plus 56. So Yikes. what does that tell me? That tells me that at five on five, this team is a mess. And we know that the power play has never been like the greatest asset for UMD, but their penalty kill used to be. Um, yep. A short-handed goal against is very uncharacteristic. A five-on-five, five, this team used to be very formidable five-on-five. Five. Um, and those numbers, at least on the incredible superficial you know, service level, indicate this team is really struggling at five-on-five. Five. Was that really the catalyst to this? And then just the special teams errors just kind of exacerbate that issue? Yeah, I would say that. I mean, that pretty much sums it up really, really well. Um, the the five on five play is is really tough to watch some nights when you can see all of these other teams get good breakouts and zone entries and maintain control of the puck. Where you see UMD run much more of that you know dump and chase mentality that you see in. And I don't want to say that it's a, a lesser style or whatever, but you see it a lot more in like the Minnesota State High School hockey tournament where that's how you have to coach some of these players and teams that are overmatched. And that's the only way you're able to get it and maintain, you know, at least a little bit of zone presence down there. And I think UMD is, is lacking quite a bit of that um, zone entry capabilities and neutral zone play for, for sure this year um, that they might've been used to before. And I think a lot of that has to come from um, their, their lack of size and their, their youth this year. We've mentioned it a couple other times, but this is where it specifically comes out more than anywhere else is the, the inability to kind of power your way through some of these other um, areas where you could have found that before and, you know, keep a, a good control of the the puck in between your skates and close to your body. And um, we're just not able to do that right now. We just don't have the size or experience um, on our offensive side in order to, to make that happen. So um, I think it will happen. I don't know if it will happen this year or not, um, given what we've seen and the upcoming schedule, what it is. But uh, I think that is the main catalyst for for what we've seen on the stat sheet and leading to what we've talked about. So let's talk about the opportunity that is uh, this weekend. Uh, I mean, and I say this very just it, it boggles my mind still that a sixth place UMD team is going to have to place a seventh place team North Dakota this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, that just is something that I don't like anybody uh, would have predicted. I certainly I did not. Um, Here's the bad news for Bulldogs. It's in Grand Forks, which is always a tough place to play. Um, These two teams looking to try to keep somewhat within a reach distance. Now, despite a lot of the results that could have gone wrong for UMD and for North Dakota, for that matter, they kind of did. But that doesn't mean you're that far out of it. Um, So you're down six points to Western Michigan and seven points to Colorado College, um, who are hold the fourth and fifth spots respectively. So, North Dakota is not the same team either. So at the end of it, 
you know, there's an opportunity here to try to, shall we say, reset the clocks and try to get some confidence back. Um, but it's North Dakota, right? They still have shown that they have can be explosive on offense. Uh, I would even say they're more leaky defensively than uh, a lot of the teams that we've seen in the NCHC. So is this that opportunity for you, Max, or is this just simply like, no, we're just trying to find some type of positive uh, positivity in our game right now? I mean, this, the second part of that is absolutely true. The last part that you mentioned there, just trying to find some sort of positivity and consistency with, with the team. Um, with that being said, I'm, I mean, both of these teams are in a much worse position than they expected to be at the beginning of the year. I think North Dakota was fourth in the nation at the the opening poll and UMD was, I don't know, somewhere in the top 10. I, I don't remember yeah. exactly where it was, but um, neither of them are in the the ranked teams at all right now. Uh, it's sitting in the pairwise, North Dakota's 22, UMD's 36 at the time of this recording. It may change with the you know East Coast games by the time it comes out. But with that being said, I think that this series this weekend if one team were to be swept I mean their season is over there's no really coming back from it with how far down you are in the NCHC standings obviously you can still win that tournament and find a, a bid into the college playoffs and, and make some noise that way but by all accounts that would be a miracle run for either one of these teams based on how they played this year so um, getting swept is going to be something that both teams are trying to avoid does that mean that they're playing tighter and you know, outside of their preferred style, we'll see. Um, do I think that favors UMD in this matchup? Probably, which is kind of insane to say. Um, but UMD hasn't been able to to succeed with their style this year. So um, I, I would say that, you know, it's going to be a tight one. Both sides and both crowds want, um, want some victories and something to cheer about here. It is unfortunate that it's in North Dakota, but I expect it to be good games both nights. Whether it be um, on the score sheet only or not is yet to be seen, um, but I do expect them to be close. So I want to go a little bit longer with you today, Max, only because I have one question I want to post to you before I get your predictions. Uh, you talked about the lack of size with UMD, and you know, there's no question the NCHC, it's a West Coast hockey style, right? It's big bodies, it's physicality, it's shielding the puck, it's offensive puck possession, right? Um, that's kind of the hallmark of the NCHC. But Sometimes when you go up on the road, shall we say the season's on the line right now? I think it's almost fair to say, right? At least maybe in the minds of the players, maybe not mathematically, uh, but sometimes not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight, the dog, right? And I don't mean that, you know, for Bulldogs fans, right? But sometimes you almost need this type of matchup to kind of maybe take a little bit of that more, just say, you know what, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to put all of my call it stress, right? But you have to go out there and be willing to go into those board battles to go in and chase a puck on the four check and hit somebody, right? Yeah. So if there is a matchup that could maybe be a catalyst to try to get something positive, is this the right one at the right time for UMD? I think it absolutely is. Uh, I was just talking to a, a couple of former players that have played in this series and, you know, they had mentioned that, you know, going into the opposing barn and they they got outplayed, um, I think they got out shot 40 to 12 or something ridiculous and they ended up winning two to one just because of some good bounces and they just didn't give up. So that's something we haven't seen out of UMD this year, um, at least it, late in the third period or late in any period um, where if you're getting outplayed, you just don't give up and you just have to maintain that that level of intensity and you'll be rewarded for it. And so I think 
having this much passion and this big of a rivalry between these two schools that they've generated since the, you know, the formation of the NCHC. Um, it's basically UMD or Denver for North Dakota at this point, because the Minnesota one has kind of fallen off since then. But um, I, I, I really do think that this, if there's any series, this one is the one that would bring back some of that passion, bring back some of that fight and make you really want to come away with a win. So let's go to the MGM Sportsbook, you know, figuratively speaking. Um, what happens now? We know what both teams need and what both teams want, but how do you actually see this one playing out? Oh, um, I know I'm putting you on the spot here. I know it's terrible. No, 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 no. It's, <laughs> it's good. I, I have already talked about it. I, I really don't think that UMD comes away with a win on Saturday just because, you know, every home team wants to win Saturday. They want to be told that they can go out and have a good time and celebrate the victory. And that's a lot of incentive, whether or not people want to acknowledge that incentive for some college hockey players. Um, so if the, the real question for me is if they get it done on Friday night or not. And, um, after what had just happened late in the game, uh, against Omaha, giving up four goals in the last two and a half minutes in the way that all four of those goals happened is going to be really tough to come back from in your first game back. Um, I know they were trying to keep it lighthearted in the press conferences leading up to it, but, um, I think there's going to have to be some intensity and, if they win on Friday, which I'm going to say right now they will, it'll be by one goal and no empty netter, nothing. It'll be a one goal, probably get outplayed style of, of victory, but a split series just to keep both of these teams um, in the race, if you will. And something UMD will need, right? Any point is uh, a positive thing for the Bulldogs again as they try to right the ship. Um, never too late, right, Max? Uh, you know, for them, and they'll have to do it sooner than later again as we head into the later parts of January with uh, the season of, uh, I should say, the regular season winding down here for us um, as we go through into the uh, second half of winter. So, Max, thank you very much as always. Always a pleasure. But we have one final stop here on the MNCAA tour. And it's with uh, our friends Alex Micheletti and Marissa Voss, who are going to fill us in on all things Minnesota State Mavericks. Last up on our MNCAA tour here for all things college hockey and the great state of hockey, we do welcome in Alex Micheletti to talk all things Minnesota State Mavericks. Alex, Welcome back, buddy. Yes, yeah, it's great to be back. Uh, coming off a, a sweep for the Mavericks, so it's it's, it's always a blast, uh, you know, talking about uh, sweeps and, and the Mavericks are climbing uh, climbing the charts and getting back in near the top of the standings. So it's great. You know, when teams are sort of, shall we say, up and down, and you know, it's it's like when things aren't going your way, or maybe not found your identity yet, you. you you almost beg for a break, right? Last year around this time for the holiday break, we're like, we don't want the hockey to stop because <laughs> they were rolling, right? Uh, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that this holiday break may have been the best thing for this Maverick squad. Uh, and so far, I think it rings to be true, right? We're now uh, up to four straight wins. Again, a sweep at Northern Michigan, a sweep on the road against Arizona State, who is no slouch of a hockey team. Um, and there's more new, good news coming our way. But before we get to those um, little tidbits here now, so let's recap the series at Arizona State, which, mind you, travel and everything else. That's not an easy thing. Um, and you took down uh, one of the you know better independent teams in the country and only allowed how many goals against? One the entire weekend. 
Yeah, it's super impressive. Uh, you know, lot lots of good accolades uh, coming off the weekend uh, for Kenyon uh, Rancier and, and Brendan Ferry. Uh, Brendan Ferry was CCHA forward of the week, and Kenyon Rancier was the goaltender of the week. So, yeah, those those guys are are really stepping up, uh, especially Ferry. You know, he was the picked to be the preseason player of the year in the conference. And yeah, the four point uh, weekend, he was on sports center for one of his goals. Um, so oh, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's good, good, good vibes for uh, some guys that really needed to start playing well. And um, uh, yeah, like we've talked about, you know, full reset, you know, just get away from hockey off the break and, and come back. It's, it's worked like a charm for the, for the Mavericks and we'll so hopefully it can continue here in the next, uh, next couple months. They're going to need it too, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, I shouldn't say you need it, uh, <laughs> but second in the CCHA right now. So right. you're in a bit, you're in a better spot than we were a few weeks back, right? Right. And uh, more importantly for the pairwise, right? Uh, you're climbing those rankings. In fact, Minnesota State now 14th, technically a tie for 16th, 15th kind of thing. So you're in a bubble situation, right? Mm-hmm. And more wins. Now, granted, We'll, we'll talk about some of the wins against coming up potentially, right? Um, but you want to stay in this position as much as you can because even though you're a bubble team, um, you're a defending national championship participant. Um, you know, so you got that accolade there. So that might sway some of the voters. Uh, but some of the competition coming up, you should, I think, to the, the college hockey fan, should be wins that you should have, right? Yes. Yeah. Historically, they've always you know played really well against these teams and you know you know some of these teams are you know struggling or or you know newer um to college hockey and so you have to take advantage now it might not uh help a ton in the pairwise but if you lose that's where it can be devastating to the pairwise so you just have to you have to get these sweeps um and uh you know like like we talked about four and four game winning streak you know just keep keep stacking the wins um and you know that that's going to help in conference and then you know and help you know not help in pairwise but it'll keep you in that top top 16 you you want to be you know uh to be safe you know closer to that 14 range where they are right now so yeah we'll see if they can do it and the i, I think the opportunities are this weekend right uh lake superior state the next opponent now mm-hmm. lake superior state we know has, has had a pretty tough season right mm-hmm. Um, but this also presents a challenge, right? Lake Superior State is, is a prideful organization, right? Not too far long ago, uh, didn't they win the CCHA tournament? And they were, uh, um, you know, they've been in the NCA tournament. Uh, so, um, you know, Witten's a good coach. You know, so, you know, sometimes teams just, you know, they hit a rough patch. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll get right back into it. You know, uh, like you said, they're a prideful bunch. Um, and, you know, the Mavericks are always, you know, everybody's, you know, when, when they get the schedule, they want to take down the top dog and, you know, the Mavericks have been, you know, the, you know, the conference champion for, for a long time. Um, and so when you can beat them, it, it's huge. You know, look, look what, what Ferris, when they swept Mankato at home, uh, it was, it was a huge deal for, for that team. And, you know, like Superior is going to want to try to do the same thing. Eight and two in their past ten against Lake Superior State. In fact, uh, twenty six four and one all time against Lake Superior State. So the, the history is in your favor. Uh, but Alex, if you're Lake Superior State, the history means absolutely nothing, right? Mm-hmm. If you're Minnesota State, that history also, to an effect, means absolutely nothing because, uh, again, you're in a great position now, pairwise. Where at the beginning of the season, in fact, 
maybe a month and a half ago, we were sounding maybe some alarm bells with Minnesota State and that maybe they would have to try to claw back in the CCHA to have a chance um, to get in the NCAA tournament. They've now put themselves back in a good position where um, you could have an at-large bid here or there, right? Uh, but you don't want to put that to chance because, as you mentioned, with a team like Lake Superior, uh, you're not going to gain a whole lot. You're more talking about holding the position, but a loss could be, uh, shall we say, drag you down a bit. Yeah, it's it's crucial. Uh, you know, uh, this year it's just been a really interesting year in college hockey because a lot of the blue bloods are, are really struggling, and we might have an NCAA tournament this year without a UMD, without a UND. Um, so it'd be Dakota too. Yeah, yes, weird. Yeah, yeah, which would be super weird just because we're so used to these teams just always making it and not, not, not worrying about them or, Hey, it's, you know, now it's, it's, you know, it's January, they're going to make their push. And, you know, some of these just teams just haven't. Um, and so you just have to, you know, keep, keep holding your position. That was a great word by you. Um, and, you know, just don't, don't lose any momentum, you know, keep riding the wave there. Um, and it's worked out in the conference uh, too, for the Mavericks too. these other teams around them have, have lost some games. St. Thomas beat Michigan tech. That was a really unexpected win. And so, yeah, you just got to hope for chaos uh, from the teams below you in, in the conference too. So, so let's talk about this matchup a little bit more in depth, right, Alex? Because uh, Lake Superior, again, you talk about paralyzed. They're like fifty-five, I think. That's crazy. Uh, coming in, um, sorry, they've dropped to sixty yeah. um, with just the way they've been playing. And again, we're not trying to, you know, smack down Lake Superior. State. No. Again, we, we mentioned that what just two years ago. I mean, yeah. they made a national title appearance yeah. in terms mm-hmm. of uh, you know the tournament, right? So I think we mentioned it because I think it's a little bit more curious that they are where they are. But also doesn't mean that they do have some players on that that can make things happen, right? You know, they still have mm-hmm. six wins on the year. Uh, they surprised a couple of teams out there. Um, so I guess how the bigger question is for Minnesota State, how do you not allow uh, the position of Lake Superior State to affect the way you play the game? Because we, we've seen it in different aspects, right? Where uh, the, the much superior team is going against the much inferior team. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden it seems like superior team is kind of taking this team lightly. How do you avoid that in this situation? Yeah, not taking stupid penalties and and you know giving a team you know special teams opportunities uh, you know to to take advantage and um, you know like we've talked about getting that first goal is so so huge um, and the Mavericks have struggled to do that uh, um, you know it it happened in Arizona State where Arizona State get you know kept getting the first goal and the Mavericks came back and and won so. Um, you know, just not letting like getting that first goal um, and, and feeling good about themselves, um, especially on the road too. If you get that first one, you're, the, the whole bench is just going to be feeling good vibes. And so, yeah, just trying to dagger them early um, and get them, get them off their game um, and play, you know, smart, disciplined hockey. Um, and, you know, the Mavericks seem to be, uh, seem to be riding a good wave right now, getting the older guys to to score a lot. Like I mentioned, Brendan Furry and Sandlin scored um, again this past weekend. And so, you know, hopefully they can get a guy like Kate Borchard um, going again. And yeah, just uh, ride that uh, senior leadership. You know, of course, you got the two stalwarts back there and Akita Hiroshi and, and Jake Livingstone that are just, <laughs> I don't know where those where the team would be without those guys. So, so happy that they came back for another year because they could have left for sure. So one of the, you know, 
I should say one of the factors of uh, some of the early season struggles for Minnesota mm-hmm. State has been injuries. Uh, mm-hmm. We got some good news on that front, even though uh, we had some bad news a couple of weeks ago with some of the long-term injuries that uh, we were coming through the lineup. Uh, what about some good news here, Alex? Yeah, uh, looks like Simon Tassi is going to finally make his college hockey debut. Um, you know, they were... Uh, you know, it was it was really tough. Uh, you know, last spring um, he was in a BCHL playoff game and he tore his ACL, um, and it was yeah. just just devastating. But he was still named the MVP of that uh, you know that um, you know <laughs> junior league, which is you know it's a high scoring league, and for for him to get that uh, you know was was super impressive, and he was expected to to fill you know the Nathan Smith uh, Julian Napravnik scoring role. Um, and so, yeah, it's super nice. They're, they're not going to redshirt him. So he's, you know, looks like he's going to, going to play this weekend. And so, yeah, that's, that's a huge, that's a guy that you can enter into the top six, uh, right away. And, uh, yeah, it'll be nice to see him, see him in the lineup and, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure he's going to be nervous, especially coming off a, a major, major knee injury like that. But, uh, uh, to add a guy like that in January is, is huge. Um, so, um, you know, hopefully he can get on the score sheet. It'd be pretty, pretty cool for him. And I think it's, uh, it's one of the first, uh, Mavericks to, uh, you know, to come, he's from Montreal. Um, so, uh, French, uh, French Canadian, usually, uh, they, they get their guys from, uh, you know, uh, more, more, uh, West, Western Canada. And so, yeah, I'm ex- super excited to see him play. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but, uh, he, he knows where to get. Uh, to the scoring areas. So we'll see if it can continue into the college hockey um, uh, era. So Alex, you know, let's talk about the decision not to register him because a mm-hmm. lot of hockey fans will be like, well, wait a second. Well, you know, aren't you burning a year? I mean, is it kind of one of those, but if you think about it, like you said, uh, he's a younger kid, right? So mm-hmm. you, you could, you could play him top six minutes, but I think maybe the question is, should they? And the reason I ask that is, you know, you, you can't put the world on one kid's shoulders, right? right. It's middle of the season, but more so you're not going to register because you want the experience. This is not necessarily a play for now, but more a play for next fall, right? You're mm-hmm. trying to get yeah. the experience, trying to get them acclimated to division one hockey. Is that truly what's happening here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, you can take a look like a guy like Christian Fitzgerald, uh, you know, he, another freshman uh, that had really good high um, scoring prowess and in, in junior hockey, he started off on the fourth line and now is on the top line for the Mavericks. Now that could be injuries, but he's also shown my case things that he deserved the ice time. And so, you know, maybe they, they do the th- same thing with Simon and, uh, you know, if he shows, you know, that he's capable, you know, that maybe he'll get more ice time. Uh, I'm sure they would like to see him maybe be on the second power play, um, just use his scoring instincts and, and take the pressure off him five on five. Um, because, you know, power play, you just, you, there's not much to think, you know, just go, go out there and, uh, and the Mavericks have, you know, their, the power plays is, is lethal. So, yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be curious to see uh, you know where they where they play them, and I think this is the perfect team to go against too. That um, you know it's an opponent that's really struggling, and so um, you know maybe it will allow him to to get the ice time. Uh, you know, especially if the scores get out of hand, maybe you can play him more too. So yeah, I'll be curious to see uh, you know looking at the score sheet how much ice time uh, Coach Hastings gives him. 
So, so let's talk about this matchup here and maybe our mm-hmm. predictions here, Alex. Again, yeah. um, we know what on paper says between these two squads, right? It, it's mm-hmm. it, it should be very heavily favored to Minnesota State. It's more of do they mentally prepare the same way, right? Because again, uh, the talent certainly on the side of Minnesota State. Like Superior struggling, but you don't want to give them any sort of daylight to feel like they're in this hockey game, right? So what's more important in this series? Is it just to try to put them out early? Um, or if it sticks around to Minnesota State, not waver from the game plan? Or maybe is it a bit of both? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, uh, but uh like I said, uh they've struggled to get that that first goal. So I think the the biggest thing this weekend is to get the first goal both nights. Um, and then ride that momentum and uh if you if you can get you know two three goal lead in the first period you know that that can really take a life out of, out of a team and especially a team that's struggling so much and so uh put no doubt in uh in, in the mavericks own minds to the that they're going to get upset um one of the one of the uh games or both games uh you know they um they just have to remind themselves of that Ferris State series because that that was that was a really tough one when you know because getting swept at home is just devastating and so uh, they just got to remind themselves that hey this is a different 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 type of season for the Mavericks um, and don't take anybody lightly um, you know you aren't as good as as you were in previous seasons and so. Um, get back to you know playing well at home. That's that's what they've always. That's their mo. Um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see if they uh, can continue this uh, four game winning streak and make make it six. First, it could be a first of three, right? Because for mm-hmm. Lake Superior State, they've only scored more than three goals three times. One actually happened to be last week in the Ferris State where they actually split that weekend. So even more to what we talked about, right, is that this mm-hmm. team is still dangerous to its degree. They're maybe not as consistent as they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex, one final question before we get your predictions, which I, I think we know where that's going. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Lexi Pierce State could look at this as like, okay, we beat Ferris State. Uh, Ferris State's not a slouch of a hockey squad. They're no. not, um, you know, a top team, but hey, they're fifth, and they're only two points back from Bemidji State for a home ice position, the CCHA, right? Uh, so maybe Lake Superior's feeling good about themselves. Uh, uh, so I guess, you know, if you're necessarily looking at that, or let me flip that. I'm actually going to flip that. If you're Lake Superior sure. looking at this, is this is this a nice momentum boost where you can go, maybe we can surprise the Mavericks here a little bit. Yeah, um, they have nothing to lose. Um, you know, it's not like they're going to make the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, it, it's nice to have some pride. You know, taking down a team like like we talked about that's uh, you know been uh, in the NCAA tournament, has been in the Frozen Four past couple seasons, and uh, you know they're in the part of the year too where the coaches are recruiting for for next season, and so recruits like to see wins. They like to see upsets. You know, it's huge. Social media is such a big, <laughs> big thing to to kids in this upcoming generation, and so they see you take down a top dog like Minnesota State. It's huge, um, and mm-hmm. so that's that's what that's what they have going for them. You know, you know they they can't look forward to you know to uh, you know NCAA tournaments, but you know they can be the you know the David to overtake Goliath. Um, so. It's fun. It's it's fun to you know be the spoiler too. Um, even even if you think you have nothing to play for, but when you when you can take down a top team or you know a team that's fighting for an NCA spot and try to keep them out of it, that's it's it's fun for them. You know, one thing in college hockey we've learned over the years, Alex, is never say never. 
right uh, you, mm -hmm. and over until uh the uh the final buzzer scores so yeah gotta go out there and play 120 minutes of hockey um i'll ask for your predictions even though i think i know where they're going <laughs> yeah uh it's it has it's gonna be a sweep uh, i think just the the talent difference is enormous uh, right now um you know it's it's too bad for lake superior i'm sure they'll be back you know near the top next season but mavericks have to take advantage you know get this to a six game winning streak and you know get get some sweeps a couple sweeps in a row like we talked about the very favorable in upcoming series so yeah we'll see if uh we'll see if the mavs are up to it I think they will be. Uh, Minnesota State uh, rightly, uh, currently ranked second in the CCHA, looking to try to overtake number one, currently held by Bowling Green. So uh, a good weekend to try to boost uh, those uh, chances here. So Alex, thank you very much. And for those listening around the college hockey world, that will do it for this week's episode. Uh, we'll continue to cover everything at Minnesota College Hockey here for the next couple of weeks as we get into the late January and mid-February. And then guess what? It's almost playoff season. So end of the regular season coming up. Alex, thank you very much for all of our panelists. I'm Nick Maxson. Thank you. We'll see you back next week. Take care, everybody.